Welcome to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast, episode 93. Greetings and welcome to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast. Today I am joined by the ultra-talented writer, musician, and just all-around awesome dude, Dalton DeShane. It's very kind. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, of course. Uh, we've worked on some stories together uh, for your awesome Absolutely. series, Monocle. Um, some of the favorite things I've worked on. You have some uh-huh. really, really awesome music that you do. And you have a really, really cool podcast that you just <laughs> started releasing. And mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about all those awesome things because sure. you know like we me, have more you pressing seem to be someone, matters <laughs> like me you seem to be someone who's not happy unless they're unhappy with how much stuff they have to do uh <laughs> yeah but you know yeah as the show goes first i have to ask comics coffee metal oh what are you digging right now yeah let's talk about the important stuff the the big topics um i feel like i gotta hit coffee first um because i probably have some atoning to do I am a coffee heretic in a couple ways. Um, Number one, for many years now, I have been a decaf coffee guy. Uh, And it was it's it's a deep personal shame of mine. (laughs) It severely limits my coffee options because there is so there's so few good decaf coffee options out there. Um, But essentially, like let me let's go back in time and i'll give you my history of my relationship with coffee uh when i was in college i had i was a music major i was a music composition major and i had band at like 7 30 in the morning um and so that was really when i like started drinking coffee was was in college just to keep me awake during band um and got full-on addicted and just like i mean for the next like probably I don't know how many years, like never went a day without a lot of coffee. Um, and eventually it got to a point where I was having like muscle spasms and like was being very dehydrate dehydrated. I would like wake up in the middle of the night with cramps and I was like, what is going on? Like this is, I, I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And then it was like, oh, it's the caffeine. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's <laughs> caffeine just started having more of an impact on me. Um, and so, like, I tried quitting coffee, and I tried switching to, like, green teas because they have less coffee, but they don't taste good. They don't taste like coffee, you know? Like, I really... Yeah, yeah. I'm a black coffee drinker. I mean, I, I'll do it with, like... I, I like the sweet treat sometimes of, like, you know, getting your the flavors or, you know, having some some almond milk or whatever. But I, I just love the taste of coffee. Um, So, a few years back, it hadn't even... This is how deeply ashamed i am of decaf coffee it hadn't even occurred to me that it was an option i feel like i had buried it so far (laughs) in my brain that like oh decaf coffee is just like a punchline for jokes that like that's what sickos drink (laughs) and so here i was like drinking all this green tea and then like i was trying like uh matcha which i didn't like i was putting the matcha powder in my wasn't working and then someone was like why don't you drink decaf coffee and i was like oh i guess yeah i guess i guess i could try that um, and so that's what I've been doing because I just love the morning ritual of making a pot of coffee and having the warm coffee. Um, but recently, I will say, just the last like couple weeks, fall hit, and mm-hmm. I've just been feeling so tired and like unmotivated. And I have so many projects, as you just mentioned, you and I are both multiple project havers. Uh, 
and I couldn't stay on top of them. And so I am back on caffeine right now, which is why I'm talking a little too loud and maybe a little too fast (laughs) because my body's not used to it. Now I can have like one cup of coffee and I am psycho for the rest of the day because (laughs) I, my body is not used to having any caffeine. And right now, actually, I was telling you before this, I just recorded two episodes of my own podcast right before this. So I am currently on like hour four of like talking into a microphone at my desk. And so I've had coffee as well as like a couple cans of like Coke. And Mm. so I am spazzing right now. (laughs) I am not going to sleep tonight. Um, But yeah, I would call you coffee heretic with the the decaf stuff. Given the background and the context and the story behind it, I'd say you're you're more devoted than most. You're like, I love coffee so much. I will suffer through decaf because I need that. I need that fix of it. Exactly. Um, decaf, like I've, I've tried decaf off and on. Um, most of the time, or mainly when my wife was pregnant with uh, mm-hmm. our kids, uh, I would try to be in solidarity. <laughs> you know, sure. I'll, I'll drink the decaf too. Um, That's a major sacrifice to make. That's true love. And, and, and you have to find the ones that are like naturally decaffeinated and all that and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And they're not, super terrible but it's it's still definitely like why is this making such a difference in, in, in yeah. the taste of it now if you're but out you, there you're kind of used to it for a while after a while though it's just yes i just am actually a enjoying thing that's like coffee right now i have if you're watching if you're seeing this on video i have my yeah. little uh 20-sided dye mug that is filled with a decaf americano right now um which is absolutely delicious and creamy and i love it mm-hmm. um because it is 11 p.m. now. I'm not going to have another. I, I will die. If I were to have more <laughs> caffeine right now, I would not sleep for four days straight. And you would find me on, wandering in the middle of the highway uh, out of my mind. But um, uh, yeah, if you're out there and you are thinking about decaf for whatever reason, it's going to be hard to find your brand. Here's my recommendations. Number one, Dunkin' Donuts at Dunkin' Donuts has a great decaf. Uh, Starbucks, not as much. But Dunkin', I think, has a great decaf. But their ground decaf you buy at home is literally the worst coffee I have ever had in my life. I don't know what the difference is, but the ground mm. Dunkin' you buy, if you buy the decaf at the store, you will it, it tastes like water. It is nothing. Uh, it tastes like coffee LaCroix, like a hot coffee LaCroix. <laughs> Um, which is not appealing. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but at, at the locations, it's great. Um, the other, what I found for a ground solution is eight o'clock coffee. Eight o'clock coffee makes a really good ground decaf that you can make at home. But here's part two of me being a heretic. And I, I don't know if this is a heretic or if this makes me a bougie snob, but my ex, uh, last year for Christmas got me the Nespresso machine. And that Nespresso has changed my life. It is, I've always been, I, I've got the Mr. Coffee, I buy the grounds, you know, and that's always been great. But the this Nespresso machine makes coffee like, it, it. it's the advertising, it lives up to the advertising hype where it's like, it is like going to like your local coffee shop. It is so good. That's what I'm drinking right now is like their decaf Americano. It sucks because you're locked into the brand. You have yeah. to buy Nespresso coffees, which means for decaf, I don't have any flavor options because they're very limited. But mm-hmm. the coffee that they do have is like, 
I don't know how it works, but it tastes just as good as going to like my bougie Brooklyn coffee shop. Um, and I, I feel bad because like my ex got it for me for Christmas and like less than a month later we broke up and I had such guilt over being like, oh, she just got me the Nespresso. I feel terrible. Like, I mean, I got her cool Christmas gifts as well, but like the Nespresso is maybe the best gift I've ever received in my life because <laughs> of how much it's changed my love of coffee. And so then for us to break up, I was like, I don't, I don't give it back. Right. It's a gift. I don't have to give back the Nespresso just because we broke up. Oh. Oh. I don't, I don't think, you know, I mean, but, at this uh, point, you know, that. I think it's safe to say it's yours to keep. <laughs> I think it, yeah, she she didn't complain. We're on good terms. Um, it was not a a uh, uh, angry, rage-filled breakup. We are we are on good terms. Uh, and you know, uh, she's got to keep the gifts from me, and so it's yeah. it's even. Well, well, like you said, you both wanted each other to be happy, right? You'd be exactly. your happiest. And clearly, Some, with your Nespresso machine, Dalton's a little closer to his happiest. <laughs> yeah, some sometimes in order to make you, the other person happy, you have to go your separate ways. And sometimes you have to get them an espresso virtuo machine <laughs> with also the milk frother. So you can make lattes at home, um, which that's, that's clutch. You get the milk frother. Yeah. I'm making iced lattes. I'm making hot lattes. I'm making coffees. I'm making Americanos. It's, Oh, you're, it is. You're living it's the, the life. life. But like I said, like I don't get to have like the boutique, coffee creations you know i'm just mm -hmm. i'm stuck in the nestle nestle uh, let me be clear one of the most evil companies on the globe <laughs> uh, literally just reading about it earlier today yeah this like absolutely scum of the earth i am i am i i am such a hard leftist and i am betraying my own politics so much just by giving them assent but you know i can hide behind the shield of no ethical consumption under capitalism all i want uh but having a nestle product is not great and especially like depending on it so much but god damn does it taste good have you had the I pleasure think... of trying an espresso i have i have not i have not um uh, i will say in terms of decaf i think green mountain was the one Ooh. we liked okay we tried. i've seen and that yeah i haven't tried since it since then though we've you know we've come across so many you know local or smaller roasters um, you know, people who listen to the show know I'm a rootless coffee stand. Mm. You know, I'm I'm uh, full on with them, and I haven't tried their decaf yet, just because I haven't had to. Um, right. Though I've, no I've one's put the gun to your head and made you drink decaf coffee. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't had to, but uh, you know, there's, you know, sometimes you know I'll get on a kick and I'll start buying these different coffees from these different roasters to try to review for the show and just check out something different. And almost all of them have a decaf option and. Yeah, you know it, it. It's it's been tempting to see like, well, is like a boutique decaf like, or not boutique? It's like a local, a small roaster decaf right. like better than, you know, mass produced whatever. Um. So yeah, it's, and the Nespresso thing, you know, I think that's fine. You know, it, it, it's, it's it tastes coffee good. enough. <laughs> uh. The thing, what's weird is that, uh, so my ex uh, lived in Chicago, and one okay. of our favorite places to go is Collectivo, which is mm -hmm. a, a Chicago chain of uh, coffee shops, and they had a really great decaf. They had, a, they had a few decaf options, if I remember correctly, that tasted really good. Um, what's weird in New York, I have not found a single independent coffee shop that has decaf coffee. They all have decaf espresso. 
And that's like the rule of law. So if I if I am going to like not a Dunkin' or not a Starbucks, but I'm going to like my local coffee shop and I just want like a coffee coffee, I have to get an Americano because they're not going to have decaf ground coffee. They're only going to have decaf espresso. Um, so that's just one of the things I learned here. I feel like everyone is giving me evil eyes when I go and be like, do you have decaf coffee? And they'd be like, no, what the, what are you talking about? I think I'm sorry. The, I, I think the decaf, uh, espresso thing is probably just because you, so many drinks use that as the, mm-hmm. as the, one of the, one of the key components. And you don't uh, have to that. brew it and like leave it sitting around if no one's going to buy it. And I think that's yeah, probably, it's yeah. probably so, low demand. And you, you know? they kind of have to have that option mm-hmm. uh, for all that. So that, that's, that's fine. I think I, th- I think I think if we were to have a coffee test, I think you still pass, sir. I still think you pass. I'd you love to vote. hear that. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I do love coffee. The love is there. I hope I'm I'm uh, not expressing that love in a way that is offensive to the true coffee aficionados out there. But <laughs> my intentions are pure. My heart is pure. Um, well, you, it's just I, I, I've mentioned before on the show and, and to you earlier that we've had all sorts of. Mm-hmm. Uh, coffee levels of uh, of appreciation here from uh, never touch it in their life to you know it's their primary source of liquid in their body. <laughs> so. You don't you don't gatekeep here on coffee comics and metal, and that's no, what makes it no. such a pleasant place. We love. You don't have coffee gators on here. No coffee no. coffee it, gators and their uh, I don't know what they would be mad about. Yeah, not enough hot ladies it's, on there's, there's no elitist attitude about it like if you like the gas station coffee that's you know half sludge half <laughs> coffee you know more power to you i respect that immensely because i would never <laughs> that's funny you bring that up i actually wrote a short story um last year on my patreon called my preferred murder and it was about a woman who desperately uh wants to die and she happens to go out on a date with a guy who's uh trying to kill her and they're kind of like, oh, my God, this is perfect. We're so in love because uh, it just worked out. Um, and it's kind of a satirical story. But there is a whole scene where the guy, you know, he's a psycho because he's professing his love for gas station coffee. And he's like, you know, I know every rest stop on this highway, like mile marker 37. It's always out of order. You don't want to stop there because it's not going to be working. But mile marker 45 <laughs> Like, it's good as long as you, like, choose the mocha option. Like, he's just, like, obsessive about specifically gas station coffees. Um, And that was my little way of being, like, dropping a breadcrumb (laughs) to the reader at the beginning. It's like, this guy is not to be trusted. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. Well, I think we got coffee well covered. How about some Mm -hmm. metal, sir? I know you're not a huge metal head, but you you have your tastes. You you, You dip your toes in from time to time. I did my toes in. I am not. I'm a. I am a very multi-genre person. Um, metal. I'm not as well versed in. Um, one band that I discovered uh, uh, this uh, probably last year through my job is. Have you heard of Zeal and Ardor? Oh yeah, yeah, excellent band. I really like them. Like the 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 combining of like spirituals and like. like traditional like african sounds and stuff with metal is very interesting to me and i think that's like the i like my metal blended with something else Mm -hmm. i I don't take my metal black you know like if we're (laughs) to use the coffee parlance i need some cream um i need like a weird little like uh pumpkin spice flavor in it or something (laughs) um and i think that's zeal and ardor kind of does that um 
you know, I've I've lift, I've listened though to like you know Deaf Heaven and stuff. Um, and I I don't know. Again, I know this is an accepting place. I don't know if I'm like listing like metal bands that people are going to be like, uh, of course. But no, those are like Ze- my toe dips. Zeal and Ardor are like one of the bands that a lot of people are like, yes, they're amazing. Like, no matter I I get to see someone say they're not good. Good. Whenever I've seen the name pop up online and in metal places and stuff like that, um, I think it's great. Um, they're, they, that kind of exemplifies, you know, my belief about metal um, and, and with comics as well. That metal and comics can take influences from anywhere and make yeah. it make it better, <laughs> make make excellent versions of that. You know, there's metal can take pop and you mm-hmm. can make some poppy metal and it'll it'll sound great you know but yeah. the minute a pop song tries to introduce some metal you know like a pop artist tries to introduce some metal it sticks out like a sore thumb right <laughs> you know it's like um you know and sometimes it works but more often than not it's like metal can assimilate things mm-hmm. very easily just like comics can with genres and things like that yeah. so that's part of the reason I love it so much because it's a malleable form. Yeah. If I want to listen to something that's, you know, really introspective and deep, you know, there's metal for that. If I want to listen to something that's just like stupid, goofy and like just got a great groove to it and all that more than enough everywhere. <laughs> if I want to listen to something that's going to make me, uh, uh, want to like, you know, punch a wall while I'm crying. I got stuff, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it's got, it's got everything. You know, I'm rarely a fan of music that sort of is straight down the middle of the plate, you know, where it's like, this is like the platonic ideal of a punk band. It's like, no, there has to be some kind of quirk or some sort of yeah. hook that's not just like, okay, yes, this is like, this is punk music. This is like, you look it up in the dictionary, uh, punk music, and there's this song, you know, like, there has to be some sort of differentiating factor. And so it's it's got to be. And I feel like that's why, uh, you know, I'm a multi-genre person. I don't listen to a lot of straight ahead pop because uh, it it can tend to, you know, by by just virtue of it being a, a very market driven and, uh, you know, like mainstream pop I'm talking about, you know, it can end up not having enough like unique flavor to it that I'm looking for. Um, I like kind of slightly off the beaten path pop um, or something that kind of just mixes in other sounds. Um, I was a huge fan of this is me getting on pop and not uh, metal, but uh, of the chicks last album, Um, the Dixie chicks, they, you know, renamed to the chicks and their new album was basically a pop album, but like sort of just had kind of their country uh, Americana influence in it. And I was like, Ooh, this is really cool because it's like, it's a very good, good blending of these two sounds in a way that I haven't heard before. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been more of a punk guy and I definitely get, you know, hardcore at the punk approaching metal. I, you know, refused, uh, the refused album, uh, the shape of punk to come was like very formative for me. And that, that's really right. Skirting up on the edge of metal. I feel like, uh, and, um, but one thing we have in common and we've talked about this before is Coheed and Cambria. Yes. Um, I am an obsessive. Uh, <laughs> they get close to metal. Would you say like uh, on occasion? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Coheed and Cambria, I'm, I'm would hesitate to say I'm a huge fan just mm-hmm. because 
I've liked songs of theirs off and on throughout the scope of their career. I've yeah. never been fully in. But this sure. last album, I'm fully in. Like It's great. It's um that the song Shoulders has been like that's mm-hmm. one of those mm-hmm. songs to where I can like just like hyper obsess over and like listen to like three or four times in a row. Yeah. And just, the singles are all phenomenal. And then um uh why am I, why am I forgetting the uh the one before uh the ones around that track uh are mm-hmm. also just very excellent i'm, I'm just gonna look it up right now my joint is too. um yeah so uh a disappearing act comatose and love murder mm-hmm. one those are all just like awesome awesome I tracks s- i saw them live um just like a month or two ago at fort still stadium and a disappearing act was great live that was such a fun live jam. My favorite on that album is Rise Nyanasha, which is like near the end. Uh, and it's got this like verse. I love when they do this where it's like a verse where like you have trouble finding like the meter and the time because everything is syncopated in different ways. And mm-hmm. so like it's a very proggy kind of verse where like you're really just being sort of led through it by the vocals, which are um, very hooky over like these incredibly asymmetric drums and guitar riffs that just aren't lining up and like it feels like you're in a weird time signature but you're not you're in four four the whole time but like it feels like it you're like is this in seven and you're like no it's just not (laughs) lining up in the ways i expect um and then it just goes into a straight like poppy chorus and it's the tension of those verses i'm i'm a big song craft person and like i pay a lot of attention to tension and release in pop songs uh in popular music and like the tension of those verses of like the meter never quite lining up and then suddenly this like huge anthemic chorus opens up yeah is like oh my god that is that is <laughs> chef's kiss that is like that is hitting the spot for me um it's one of my favorite coheed songs i think of all time and i'm i'm a big fan from way back but that song checks every box for me um yeah it's it's they do the thing really well where the instrumentals can be very proggy but Mm -hmm. claudio's verses and and the melodies for his vocals are just very hooky and that's not usually what happens in prog (laughs) you know usually um the vocalist is just trying to be just as uh experimental <laughs> as the mm-hmm. as the music's being and uh, even like the song i mentioned shoulders like that's you listen to it it's a really simple riff and all that but when you sit down and you, and, you, and you go to play it and listen to it like there's there's such a way they play it and the and like just like the 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 groove of it it's like unless you unless you like you're just like really into it like unless you've like really dug into it it's it's not just pick it up and do it, you know, at least for me anyway, because yeah. it's just like, yeah, there's just some of the, the stops and, and some of the, the, the pauses they have in between there where it's just like, this isn't an odd signature riff. It's not super complicated or whatever. I know all the notes. No. I can play all the notes. It's just getting that, that groove of it together mm-hmm. with all that. And then, you know, you mentioned you're big into, you know, the tension and release thing. And uh, that, I, you know, having listened to your music, I can definitely see that. I think mm-hmm. um, your song Freak Show is a perfect yeah. example of that, you know? Yeah. It's uh, got a very sort of subdued groove in the verses, 
Uh, and then we go big on that chorus and really let things soar after like, I've been doing this kind of low singing and, you know, just kind of growling and then big opening up. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, that's definitely, you know, I see that influence or that, that, um, appreciation for that kind of songwriting style in that as well. So yeah, definitely. I take a lot yeah, of influence from Coheed for sure. Like, um, there's a song on my album, uh, my album Demons and Dogmen, uh, where I really leaned into like my proggy Coheed bag. It's called Sonata Number One in Black and White. Um, and it's like a nine minute song. And I had the idea for it because Coheed also loves to do really long songs. And on their third album, um, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star Four, uh, from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness, uh, <laughs> desperately long t- title. Uh, there's a song on there that's like nine minutes long. And I, as I said before, I'm a composition major. So like theory and structure and everything is like something I really listen for. And I realized that they made this nine minute song work by basically following a classical sonata form. And I don't know if it was on purpose uh, or if it just kind of worked out that way, because uh, I, I don't know how intentional Claudio was with it, but it really follows like the same sonata form that like Beethoven was using, you know, um, and I was like, ooh, shit, that's actually a cool idea, like structuring a proggy punk song on a, on a, you know, classic, classical form. And I sort of wanted to put my own stamp on that. And so I even called it, you know, Sonata Number 1. But like, yeah, I, I there's a lot of things that I notice in Coheed songs where I'm like, that's an interesting idea. What if I took it and flipped it and did something else, you know, which I think is where a lot of music comes from, but definitely take a lot yeah. of inf- influence from them. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like I said, it, it, I, I see, I see the influence in your music and uh, you will dig a little bit deeper into, into your, your music <laughs> in a bit, but uh, we got one more thing to cover, sir. And that is some comics. What comics have you been enjoying lately? Um, You know, this is, Again, I feel like a heretic. I feel like a heretic. I feel so like unprepared on all three fronts, even though I knew I was coming on co- comics, coffee and metal. And I'm like, oh, I'm a decaf and I and I like uh, prog punk. <laughs> um, and similarly with comics, despite me writing a shit ton of comics this year, uh, I've sort of taken a step back from reading comics this year a little bit because I haven't been reading anything else the last couple of years. I've spent like the last few years, like reading like everything that comes out. And so I want to really have like a cool indie answer for you of like, you know, uh, check out this thing from like aftershock or mad cave or like all the, the amazing indie yeah. publishers out there. But the, to be honest, I've fallen off and I've just been reading a bunch of fucking X-Men. Uh, but <laughs> you, you know, know what? It, to be, to be honest, uh, the, all the awesome guests I've had on here, so many awesome independent books have been mentioned. So having someone come on and say, I just been reading X-Men. Like that's fine. Like that's let's talk X-Men for a that's, minute. That's, then that's let's, going against the wave that's been happening. Here, so. You have so many cool guests on here. Uh, uh, some of which I know and some of which make some of the coolest fucking comics. And, uh, I'm so envious of, uh, so many people you've had on here. Um, and, uh, I wish I was at New York Comic Con uh, this weekend and picking up a lot of those books. Uh, but 
this year, because I've been trying to read more novels, I, I'm writing a novel right now, which is partly why I wanted to go off of comics for a minute. I was like, mm. I really need to be like doing some studying on like writing horror novels. And so I'm trying to like pack in as many as I can. And I'm also doing a lot, reading a lot of like research books about circuses and freak shows, which I'm sure we'll talk about why a little later. <laughs> um, but comics wise, the X-Men... Obviously, I love Jonathan Hickman's the whole everything that's happened in the Krakoa era has been great. I mean, not everything. I'm not I'm not going to call out any specific titles, but, you know, there have been a, a couple just one or two like kind of weak spots. But mostly the Krakoan era of X-Men, I think, has been phenomenal. Uh, I think it's the best the books have maybe ever been. Um, but really what I've been doing this year is like kind of deep diving on a lot of stuff I miss, particularly in the 80s, because. Are you a, how, what is your X-Men level? Like how, how, how would um, you rate your X-Men, uh, Pokédex? Uh, it, it is definitely not up to date. Sure. Um, I got into X-Men in the earlier nineties, like 90% of people between ages <laughs> of 35 and 45. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I followed up until I want to say like 98, 99. And then I took a around like a where probably ninety nine percent of those people dropped off. You yeah, know? I took like a ten year break from like comics and and drawing and stuff like that, and um, I kind of got back in with the the Whedon Astonishing because I heard it was so sure. good. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of jumped in a bit with some of the early twenty ten stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when my daughter was born in twenty sixteen, I fell off comics big time. I yeah. Still not. I, w- I wasn't going to my shop because uh, I, had, you know, became a, a work from home, stay at home dad. And the day job I would go to was in Chicago and I live like 40 miles away from Chicago and my comic shop was there, too. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going there anymore. <laughs> so I can't, uh, you know, I'm not getting my books. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I, but I try to see, you know, I know enough people <laughs> who love these books, especially the mm-hmm. Krokoa era of X-Men. That one, I know I need to get into it. I've been um, uh, this, for for the holidays this year. I'm probably gonna ask uh, ask Santa for a Marvel mm-hmm. Unlimited uh subscription. Ooh, good call. So yeah. I can I can catch up on that because I'm it's been going on for a couple of years now. So I can yeah you know read there's a lot the, to catch up on all all the stuff there and catch up on that because I hear it's so good. But um, I I hear enough about what's happening, so I'm I'm kind of like yeah I know. The resurrection stuff i know mm-hmm. you know the 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 funny um kind of uh wink wink scott gene logan thing. <laughs> the thruple yeah <laughs> um i don't know how explicit they've made it i'm sure it's just still very just kind of like well i mean we know. haven't seen them all like fucking each other but uh <laughs> i thought you would it's been yeah. <laughs> it's been heavily implied enough that i think we can assume it's happening off panel um, um and I've seen enough with the, uh, you know, just bits, bits here and there and, and, and all that. So it definitely seems interesting. So I'm, I'm kind of just like passively aware of most of it, I want to say. Well, so. that's kind of how I felt about the X-Men in general. I, I, I feel like I spent my entire life trying to get into the X-Men and not really succeeding until this year. Um, cause like, so when I was a kid, Obviously, the X-Men animated series 
I was yeah. like, oh, hell yeah. I love the X-Men now, despite mm-hmm. never having read a comic. I didn't even like really retain what was happening on the show. I was just like, oh, they look cool. I like Wolverine, you know, like because yeah. I'm a ch- child. <laughs> um, and then uh, my my family used to vacation at this place that had a, an X-Men Children of the Atom arcade game. Oh, so like okay. I mostly knew them from like playing Children of the Atom where Iceman was my favorite. Iceman has always been my favorite X-Man. I'm like. I, when I was playing X-Men with my friends, I would have Iceman's powers, you know, but I didn't read anything. And so then I get into high school and I get into comics for the first time. And I read the ultimate X-Men because I was in high school, right? As the mm-hmm. ultimate line was going on. And the X-Men themselves seem so intimidating because I mean, everything about comics seemed intimidating. I was like, what do yeah. you mean it's been happening since the 60s? <laughs> I don't <laughs> that's so much longer yeah. than I've been alive. So Ultimate X-Men was like, oh, shoo in. I can just buy like six trades at the bookstore and I'm fine. Yeah, and you're caught up. Um, but I wanted to get into the mainstream X-Men. And I remember being in high school and seeing on Amazon.com, you could buy a CD-ROM with every issue of Uncanny X-Men. I Do you remember this? Some of those CD-ROMs. Yes, sir. Yes. And it was like 20 bucks. And I was like, oh, my God. Every issue of X-Men from Lee and Kirby until now? The thing is, what was weird about this disc is it was only Uncanny X-Men, meaning yeah, you'd be yeah. getting like, if you got to the uh, crossover events, yeah, you'd be getting yeah, like, exactly. a cor- you're exactly. totally lost, you know? Yeah. But so I get the CD-ROM and I'm like, finally, I'm going to read every issue of X-Men. And it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely not. So I get, and I get it and I'm like, oh, shit, there's like 600 issues here. Where do I start? And so I started the beginning and I read like, you know, the Lee and Kirby stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. When does Wolverine get here? Or like, when does, when does like the stuff I know start to happen? I, I know the juggernaut. Yeah. I know everyone on this team. Uh, I know Magneto, but like, where's the rest of it? You know, like, cause it a, takes a, a lot happened in that original series that, that just doesn't touch on anymore. And it's just like, yeah. Oh, and what? I had no conception of like the Claremont run. You know, I, I didn't yeah. know, I didn't know about the eras of X-Men, you know, I didn't know about Claremont. I didn't know about Grant Morrison. I didn't know. So then I go to like the modern stuff and I'm like just diving into like 2001 X-Men and I'm like, oh, I God. now I, now I really don't know what's going on. <laughs> this is, the 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 Lee Kirby stuff was too little. There wasn't yeah. enough of what I recognized. Like it, it seemed too bare bones. This is way too much. I am in the deep end, and like there's an answer somewhere here in the middle, and I don't know where to find it. And so I just sort of let it be a mystery for a while. And then it, at one point, I I understood. Oh, the Claremont run. Okay, I'll read that. And I I got most. I got I got like ten years in. I don't know about 10. I got maybe seven or eight years into the Claremont run and then other things distracted me. And so I had a better idea now, but I still didn't really have my head around everything. I hadn't read anything in the nineties and you know, it just seemed like there was always more that I couldn't figure out. And so I tried just diving in with where I was, which I think happened to be around Inhumans versus X-Men, you know, Mm -hmm. which was, is one of the worst. I mean, (laughs) if you've had podcast guests on that have ever worked on it, uh, no offense, but it's not my favorite. Uh, and so it, it was all, it really wasn't until Jonathan Hickman where I was like, okay, here's like a jumping on point where I'm mostly, I'm mostly on board. I still don't know what this Excalibur stuff is. What the fuck is Otherworld? Who it, there's a lot of people here. I don't know what's yeah. happening. I still haven't read like Inferno at this point. You know, I'm just, I'm still pretty lost. And it wasn't until this year, um, 
I, I'm sure you've, there's another podcast called Cerebro that like, you know, uh, Connor Goldsmith hosts um, that sort of like takes uh, different characters and like, and he really does a good job of like summarizing the publication history in a way that finally I started segmenting things in my head. I was like, oh, these are the key moments. Oh, this is who this is. Oh, and like piecing, suddenly pieces starting falling into place. And so this year I've been going back and reading like, the big X-Men arcs like Inferno and Follow the Mutants and, you know, Mutant Massacre and uh, the Morrison run on New X-Men and like being freed from like feeling like, oh, I have to read every issue between 1963 and now to like, oh, no, you can you can get the the wide strokes by like following these major arcs. I'm like, oh, finally. And so like this is the year I feel like I kind of cracked the X-Men and I'm yeah. like, I think I'm an X-Men. I've been an X-Men fan my whole life, but now like now I feel like I'm an <laughs> X-Men fan. Like now I feel like I like get it uh, in a way that just seemed it, it's taken me 30 years. And and that makes sense that it would take 30 years to feel like I have a rudimentary understanding of the X-Men. But that's basically where I am now. Um, you yeah. The minute you brought up those CD-ROMs, I'm like, yes, I have. I don't think I have yeah. this. I don't think I have the 63 all the way up. I think I have like from like the 70, like I have like a 20 year version. I have the oh, ultimate X-Men version, but I also had some of the trades. Okay. Um, and I, I, I feel like I want to get up and dig them out. Cause I think they're in a bin. <laughs> in, in it's a also like, I'm reading like this PDF yeah. on like my windows 98 computer <laughs> yeah. in my parents' bedroom. Cause I'm yeah. a kid and they're, they have the computer room and it's like, not the best way to be reading comics. Like you're going to get burned out on that pretty fast. When they, when they first released ultra uh, ultimate Spider-Man, they did mm. it on like the, they, they had it on the Marvel website and you, you could load each page or whatever and read like, I think it was oh, like wow. first six issues. And, but this is still back, you know, <laughs> iPads didn't it, exist yet. And, and like and, tablets uh, didn't you know, exist dial up days, you know, and, and things like that. So loading a page took, a very long time yes. for most people especially yeah. like an image like a whole like detailed pdf image yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. your whole afternoon and i remember when i was going to issue. when i was going to college that you know they had the computer lab or whatever so i would go there just because their internet was a bit faster so i, I mm, could yes i could go on i could read uh whatever whoever was like posting comics up and then um also for like music stuff if someone was like posting like music clips or whatever and, and things like that and yeah so but hearing your uh, journey with X Men is, it feels to me it's reminiscent of your journey with coffee. Like, I like this That's thing. That's true. I know I like this thing. I got to find my way in. Damn it. This. I'm going to find a way to like it, even if it <laughs> takes me 30 years. Yeah. And, and you know what? If you're listening to this and being like, hey, that sounds like a lot of work and very daunting, that's why you should stick to indie comics, kids. <laughs> Don't get big two pilled. Support the work of the creators <laughs> on this podcast. Because you, why spend 30 years getting into uh you know uh these the x-men with a very rocky publication history when you can dive into that little five issue mini you know there at you your go. comic shop right now by liana congas or mario candelaria or whoever and have a blast on that topic uh let's talk about monocle your mm. uh independent series where uh is basically whenever i, I talk to people about it uh, I'm like, it's kind of like if Google was like evil, but like, you know, like the, outwardly evil as opposed to just, you know, 
just secretly evil <laughs> or just, you know, yeah. just like you know it was was illegally evil mm-hmm. <laughs> did, did did all the crazy shit people think that google is doing <laughs> yes yes um but yeah what was what was the impetus of that was uh was writing comics and all that because you mentioned you're a you know composition major for music and all mm-hmm. that so was writing comics always something you wanted to pursue as well or is it just kind of uh you had the idea and like well i got to do this now What's interesting is I spend so much of my time now writing fiction, whether it's through Monocle or the books for the band or for my podcast. But really, I never conceived of myself as any kind of writer until after college, like I I, other than a writer of music, you know, like I would write music. But like the idea of coming up with a story, I was like, it's just not in me. I just don't have that bone. Like I I don't know how to find a story or like come up with ideas And then I don't know what it was, but for some reason, um, once I got into like my mid twenties, like a switch just flipped on and I couldn't stop having ideas for stories. And so, and as a huge comic lover, since I was in high school, uh, that seemed like the, the avenue I wanted to go down. But again, it's like, okay, well, how do I do that? Because I'm not an artist. I can't, that is one thing I cannot do is, is draw. uh, and so I was like, I, I, and I can't like, I don't have the money to like hire someone to do like a six issue something with me. Like, what do I do? Um, and it just so happens that I've spent most of my adult life working for big tech companies. Um, I currently, uh, still work for a big tech company at the time I came up with the idea for Monocle. I was working for Apple retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent a long time there and It was so interesting to me to be in this culture that is so outwardly friendly, that is very so much like we value our people and we're doing good in the world and we're helping the environment. (laughs) And then the longer you work there, you sign you kind of see all the sneaky ways that they're actually really evil to, I mean, employees, which was what I was. Um, And that sort of that was sort of the impetus for it. And I've always been a pulp horror guy. We haven't talked much about this, but I'm a horror fanatic. Um, And uh, so I kind of had the idea of like, what if you did Tales from the Crypt, like this, like very grimy, pulpy horror, but set it in like the pristine halls of modern tech companies. Um, And that also just made sense for me from a production standpoint, because it's like, okay, I can't hire someone to pump out a six issue something, but like I could pay someone to do eight page stories, you know, Mm -hmm. and like maybe like one a month, one every other month, you know, and like, this is a way that I can actually be making comics and writing comics and putting stuff out. Uh, and, uh, you know, that is actually feasible and affordable, uh, for me. Um, and so that's where the kind of the anthology thing came up with. And so, yeah, the, the series is basically, uh, tales from the crypt in a modern tech company like it's eight or nine page short stories uh that basically blend some sort of classic pulp horror concept or trope with modern tech evil and you know get we get compared a lot to like black mirror or things like that the the key thing with monocle is that the villain is never the technology the technology is not scary it is the company and it is how the technology is used and it is always always the company that is evil i i don't think technology is inherently evil i think it is how capitalism drives us to use the technology 
Uh, but, you know, we combine it in fun ways. Like one of the first Monocle stories was about, you know, um, a, uh, a phone manufacturing plant in China where the workers were killing themselves because they were being overworked. This was based on an actual news story mm-hmm. of worker deaths at Apple factories. Uh, and in my story, they hire like a Dr. Frankenstein type guy to come in and revive all the corpses. So they have to keep going back to work on the assembly line, you know? So it's like, you take like this pulp monster trope and you combine it with a real life evil. A story you did, uh, with me recently was the, the, the token of Florian Gray, which was, (laughs) uh, combined the portrait of Dorian Gray with NFTs and uh, a guy who sees an NFT portrait of himself that makes him younger while the portrait goes old, grows older. And then sort of the fickle nature of NFTs brings that to a screeching halt, you know? Um, so yeah, so, uh, I publish it monthly on Patreon. Um, well, sort of monthly. I try to keep up with monthly, but I have a lot of projects going on, but it is mostly monthly on Patreon. Uh, and then every three stories, I combine them into print, you know? So, uh, there are currently seven print volumes, each of which have three stories. So that's 21, 21 issues so far, 21 stories. Uh, and we're still going. Um, you did the cover for the most recent uh, yep. volume, Tales from the Crypto, really making the <laughs> influence obvious. Oh, and I should mention that uh, our Crypt Keeper is a mummified version of Steve Jobs. Uh, and there's there's actually an origin story for him in our first volume that explains how Steve Jobs mummified himself and went crazy in a tomb in Egypt and uh, now introduces all of the volumes of Monocle. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a political horror comic. It's, it's scary. It's funny. It's uh, sometimes a little too socially real. Um, but uh, still going strong, you know? having a blast with it. I still haven't run out of ideas, which is great. Every, every story I try to put in a completely different, none of them are connected. There's no through line narrative. I try to find different areas and different isolated stories for each one. And I've got some fun ones coming out in the next few months. So I can't wait. Yeah. You know, we, I've had the pleasure of doing two of the stories Mm -hmm. and they were both, you know, very different from each other and both your work was incredible. Very fun to do. Thank you. And, um, it's just, you know, and reading the stories that around, you know, that other creators were working on with you on those, it is a very, you know, fun, dark, darkly fun <laughs> series. Mm-hmm. Um, I especially remember when you messaged, when you emailed me about working on the second one, the Florian Gray. Uh, mm-hmm. I just remember like, kind of like blankly seeing like in the email, like NFT. And I'm like, oh, no, like <laughs> it's all an NFT guy. And then I'm then Can you I imagine? actually read the email. Oh, man. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Yes, and, let it be clear that Monocle is an anti-crypto, anti-NFT yes, uh, project. Um, is, Speaking is, of which, I have a story that will be coming about this whole AI art debacle that I'm oh, very excited about. I, I heavily look forward to seeing <laughs> what that is. Uh, it's I'm very excited about um, that. But yeah, it, it, it's Monocle's. It's a really fun series, and I, I'm glad you found kind of a way to you know, keep consistent with it and getting it out and, and things like that. I think it's, um, I hope it has a decent enough following that you feel like it's worth your time and, 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 you know, expense to, to keep it going because it's definitely a unique book. You know, it is mm-hmm. taking that anthology idea, keeping kind of like the general theme of it, but it, it's still just so different. And, and, and you, 
definitely don't kind of, you know, from what I've read, you know, of all the vibes, it doesn't feel like you're ever like repeating yourself ever, which, you know, can be a danger for any creator, you know, artist, yeah. writer, whatever. And through 21 stories, each one being uniquely uh, its own thing within that scope of, uh, of the, the umbrella of monocle uh it's it's really impressive you know and well yeah the nice thing is that these companies keep finding new ways to be evil um and so sword right (laughs) because technology keeps advancing like when i started monocle i couldn't have done crypto stories because it wasn't really a thing nfts weren't a thing and now i'm doing this ai art story because that's a new way that yeah companies are finding to be evil so you know, as long as uh, capitalism remains in place and techno capitalism in particular keeps just roaring ahead, uh, hopefully I will never run out of. I mean, I, I would love to run out of story inspiration. I would love it if all of a the sudden the companies were good. It's like, I, yes, we're all good. <laughs> we're doing our yeah, right. Don't need this anymore. Um, that would be wonderful. And, and maybe maybe a future story about a, a blood diamond, a stupid billionaire trying to buy Monocle. But, you know. You can't. <laughs> Ooh, that's a meta story about someone trying to buy the. Uh, now I'm like brainstorming, like, okay, what if I went meta and Monocle finds out that one of its employees is making a comic about how much they hate working at Monocle, <laughs> and oh, what boy. would their reaction be? Hmm. See, there you you go. got the wheels it's, turning. It never ends. It never ends. <laughs> awesome. Um, aside from Monocle, are there any other comic, you know, plans you have or? Or is it just, you know, maybe one day, but like, you've got enough right now. <laughs> you've got enough. You know, I would, I would love to, I have a pitch locked and loaded for, if you know me, uh, you know that I am a big fan of the Mothman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually just watched the Mothman prophecies for probably the 30th time last night. Uh, my, uh, I just released an EP called Cemetery Sunset, which has a song about the Mothman on it. Um, I have a pitch. The thing about the Mothman is he's so popular right now. I feel like you see him in memes and like you can buy plushies of the Mothman. You can buy (laughs) t-shirts of the Mothman, but there aren't many mainstream Mothman stories. There is really the Mothman prophecies, which came out in 2001, more than two decades ago. And what other Mothman stories are there? So yeah, I have a pitch for a comic called the Mothman Academy, which is like a sort of coming of age story. Uh, (laughs) that includes the mothman mythos that i think is a fucking slam dunk and why sanders who is incredible she's done a bunch of monocle with me she's doing a book for wave blue world right now um she's really great she did the tales from the crypto story in the in the volume that we're in together um she's she's uh made some character designs and stuff that i think are great so i'm trying to find a home for that right now um and yeah you know it's the thing of like i've been making monocle for a long time but as you said it's a tough thing to continue to finance without a huge following and so um you know i've got a bunch of ideas and i just got to pitch them around and hopefully we'll land somewhere awesome well you know on the topic of just like all these projects you have going on uh let's let's get into the music aspect you know you have your you know dalton the shane and the traveling show and you have kind of like your solo uh, thing that you just, like you just released that EP, um, mm-hmm. and in the video version of this podcast, the "Where Are You, Mothman" album artwork is actually being highlighted. Oh, is it? It's it's <laughs> um, somewhere done by it's the awesome the Landis Blair. 
Landis um, Blair, so great. I think I met him at C2E2 uh, yeah. just before the pandemic. Um, I, uh, I met him, uh, I, I, I had breakfast with him well, because uh, I, was at, I was doing a small, so, uh, a tiny convention in Chicago, and uh, Daniel Warren Johnson was, oh, uh, yeah. was there too, and he came up to me. I was tabling with my buddy Tyrell Cannon, who's also a really good friend of Daniel's, and Daniel's mm-hmm. like, hey, me and Landis are going to breakfast. You guys want to come before the show started? And I'm like, yeah. So, you know, I, you know, kind of crashed their breakfast. <laughs> he asked <laughs> that's me, great. But, you know, I kind of crashed. Of course, that's not crashing. Um, but the funny thing was, I found out that uh, Landis had actually illustrated a graphic novel that was mm. commissioned by the, imp- the owner of the company I used to work for before Interesting. I, before, you know, I became dad. Um, about his dad, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's called the hunting accident or something like that. Interesting. Um, so it was one of those things where it's like, oh wow, you know, s- small world, I guess. <laughs> Landis is so great, and it's like, yeah, it, you know, sometimes, you know, I was going to cons back in 2019 and 2020 before the pandemic. Like, you know, I obviously, I had Monocle going looking for artists to work with, and Landis, like, as soon as I saw his style, I was like, oh, this is exactly my shit. Like, this yeah. is. Like I, his, he has such a specific and well-defined style that is so cool and unique. And I immediately was like, oh, he's going to do an album cover. I'm going to hire him to do an album cover someday, hopefully. Um, Cause I was like, oh, this is perfect. So uh, uh, some background about my band. I have a band called Dalton to Shane and the Traveling Show. Uh, we are a concept band, meaning all of our songs tell one continuous story about a man in the 1940s who is possessed by a demon and he takes over a circus, and it is up to the freaks in the freak show and a psychic janitor from Washington, D.C. to try to stop him. Uh, so it is a very pulpy, uh, alternate timeline uh, horror story um, that takes place uh, when after the U.S. has lost World War II. So it's like very, it's got a lot of different elements in it. Uh, but if you don't care about that stuff, it's just uh, really fucking rad punk music. Um, like uh, a, a, dips into a little bit of proggy areas sometimes. Um, and we released our debut album, Demons and Dogmen, last fall. Uh, the way we release our music is not as CDs or vinyl, but as books. So you can either stream the album, which is on all the streaming services, but if you want to buy a physical copy, it's a novel, and I ship you a novel. Uh, it's a 250-page novel that I wrote that tells the story behind the album um, and comes with a download code for the music. Uh, and so it's the first in a trilogy. Uh, and so right now I am actually writing the second album and the second novel concurrently, um, to, uh, follow it up and we'll hopefully have that out within the next year or two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I try to very specifically design it so that if you are just a casual listener and you don't care about the story stuff, there, all the songs are very human and about very just sort of, uh, big emotions and I think can be listened to on their own. But if you are a nerd like me that loves to dive deeper, there is an entire mythology and lore and stuff underneath that you can dive into. Um, And then so we released that last October. And then to kind of tide people over until the next album, I just released a solo EP a couple weeks ago um, called Cemetery Sunset, which is does not have to do with that big story and is a little bit of a different sound. Um, It's more kind of uh it's a little it's more acoustic than electric but it's still kind of a heavy punk sound but with kind of acoustic guitars and horns and strings and marimba and all kinds of weird instruments uh and it's a little six song cycle about 
uh, breakup that is told through different horror tropes. So when you listen to it in its entirety, um, you're going to hear the gradual collapse of a long-term relationship from the nightmare when it's at kind of its peak of being awful to the acceptance of the separation. And every song kind of views it through a different horror trope lens. So there's a haunted house song, there's a Mothman song, there's a vampire song, there's a satanic panic song, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's all kind of using these different horror subgenres as ways to talk about the different phases of a relationship ending. Um, And so that is, that is a streaming service exclusive thing. There's no physical release for that, but it's all, on Spotify and Apple Music and everything, and I'm really proud of it. So, yeah, that's sort of it. We're we're all my music takes a long time to explain, uh, <laughs> but basically, if you like uh, macabre punk music, if you like some spooky with your rock, I mean, it's look, it's the Halloween season, and yeah, I always perfect. release this time of year. This is my season. This is it, when I release music. It is the perfect time to listen to to any of Dalton's music right now. Um, <laughs> you know. People, you know, listeners of the show, they they know I have a wide berth of stuff I like to listen to and things like that. And, um, you know, you, I think you sent me the album when I was working on the first book, uh, first yeah, comic book. Yeah, I sent you like an exclusive to it, And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, what? Shit, this guy's like a really talented musician. <laughs> you know? And <laughs> Thank the, you. the thing I instantly got from that is just the fact that like, you know, you love to tell a story. And mm-hmm. when it comes to like, you know, music and especially something like, uh, like you have that, you bring all these different elements and you're, there's just things that happen musically with different instrumentation and things like that, that, you know, it's not something that's normally in something I listen to, but the fact that you're telling a story and you're going through that, it's mm-hmm. so much more immersive. And, you know, you said it feels like your music takes a long time to explain. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, you just like to tell a story I mean, there's stories in there, yeah. but as, as you said, you take care in making it still like you can still just listen to it and just enjoy it and just, yeah. And I, 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 I wanted think, to be able to just be able to dive in and with no knowledge and enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I think that's 100% true. You know, I think if you are, you know, into kind of the, the stuff you've been talking about in terms of the genres and all that, um, this is definitely something that would be up your alley, especially again, a nice fall night. You know, you the little air's a little crisp outside. You you, you toss on uh, either either the the latest EP or the the album, and it fits right at home. <laughs> if think. you're having a Halloween party this year, I yeah. cannot express to you how many songs of mine will fit in perfectly <laughs> on that playlist. Um, yeah. Right, right in between Monster Mash and <laughs> the Monsters mm-hmm, theme song. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Why do, just 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 drop some where are where are you mothman on there and then <laughs> people will love it there is the mothman song has big dramatic church bells in it so yeah. you know set in the halloween mood i i i think what I, I appreciated most about that when you released that was and i, I didn't tell you when you released it but uh because we were going to talk about it and i could tell you you know face to face um that it was so like not jarring it was like Oh wow! This is like such a different way of a different style or a different just like vibe of music that I'm used to hearing from mm-hmm. you. That I'm like, yeah, it was just my my uh, my uh, 
appreciation of you know your talent and all that just went even deeper and was like oh wow you know he's thank you he's you know it's not just you know not that it was just that because you you have a ton of influences on the traveling show album it's just with this it's like oh wow there's this like you know you're 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 pulling out crazy shit where i'm like i would have never (laughs) thought like oh let's do that there (laughs) and and it's and it's really cool and it's and it's really awesome so (laughs) thank you yeah I really liked, uh, this was a sort of a chance for me to dip into my composition bag a little bit and flex some muscles that I don't get to do with the band. My cats are trying to cause havoc. Hold on. <laughs> Hello, kitty. I should have locked them out. Yes. For, Holly for, and Weenie, appropriately named for the season. <laughs> I have for the Holly audio uh, podcast here. listeners, uh, Don was just, Don was just uh, shifting his cat around yes. a little bit. <laughs> um, so Holly's being a rascal. Ah, so... So yeah, that, that that's just you know something that I that I noticed right away with with that EP, and uh, thank yeah, you. At this, and you're flexing your muscles on it for sure, for sure. <laughs> now, gotta always try new stuff. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, all this talk of you being a musician, and and again, people will know. I have to ask, what guitars you got, sir? Let's, let's get into the nitty gritty gear details because I want to know. <laughs> I don't have anywhere near the collection you have um it, it's fine i i have i have way too many for the amount of time i pl- spend playing them <laughs> i mostly just stick to my one acoustic and my one electric my acoustic i love it it is a martin om1 model i have had it since college and it is my absolute baby i love that guitar um for a long time electric i played uh, a mexican strat um with like really nice though uh matte like a velvety matte red finish that i loved um but electronics in it are crap the Mm -hmm. tone isn't great you know um so uh i eventually upgraded and my main baby now i'm gonna show it on the video is this gretsch electromatic it is the Tim Armstrong. Oh, I should talk into the mic. It is the Tim Armstrong signature model, the guitar player from Rancid. Mm-hmm. So what's nice about it is that it is a uh, hollow body, but with pickups that are designed to have the distortion cranked up. So okay. this is meant to be like a punk guitar. It is meant to uh, be played loud and distorted, which is what I was looking for. But I like the aesthetics of it. It is beautiful. It is this matte black finish with a gold trim. Uh, which I think fits well into the aesthetic of the band, you know, so that was a big uh, thing looking for it. I'm not a super big gearhead. I don't understand all the things I have other people, you know, <laughs> like uh, when it comes to like electronics and like all the details and stuff, I don't always know what I'm talking about, but I know when a guitar looks good and <laughs> that guitar definitely looks gorgeous. good. I'm, I'm a sucker for matte black. That's like, yeah, I love a matte such a, guitar. Such a great look. Awesome. Now, when when you record your, your, do you typically go to a studio? Do you have like a, a home setup you kind of work with? I have or? a home setup. Yeah, I I uh, I record everything myself. Um, I used to mix things myself uh, before I realized I wasn't super great at it. Um, and uh, but I record everything here. Um, the only thing I don't record here is drum set because I'm in Brooklyn and uh, there is not space nor uh, tolerant neighbors enough to <laughs> record a yeah. drum kit here. So I do have to rent studio time to record drums. Um, but like the EP was all recorded right in this room. Um, so yeah. Awesome. It's all, it's all here. 
Now I'm that's gonna like su- I'm more of a gearhead for recording gear than I am for guitar gear. I feel like guitar gear I don't understand as much, but like when it comes to like buying audio interfaces and mics and stuff like that, I feel like I have a much better grasp on that stuff. Well, I'm I'm about to breach the next level of geekery and ask you know what what's what's your interface? What's your what's your digital audio workstation where you record all your tracks and stuff like that? I'm for mm-hmm. people who don't know. Um, do you use a, a lot of plugins or amp simulators, things like that? I so my audio interface is a uh, Focusrite uh, Scarlet, um, which I believe has something like twenty inputs. Like I really upgraded my audio interface a couple years ago. I love the Focusrite stuff, but I wanted to have the option of recording drums with this thing if I needed to. So I, it's a ton yeah. of inputs and stuff. I love it. It is the uh, Scarlet Eight Pre. Okay. Um, oh, I've always used Focusrite interfaces, and I don't think I'll ever change. I love their sound. I have um, the uh, I have the two input two i two that I this, recently upgraded to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last Christmas, I think. I used to have sorry, um, this line is called the Claret. The Scarlet is the one the 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 two two input ones. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So you have the Scarlet. This is like the Claret series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever. Well, Focusrite. Yeah, I, I I I'm super happy with Focusrite, except for. Um, I have to keep my bit rate at a certain level. Otherwise my, mm. if I play video, if I play any audio from my browser, it like gets all crackly. So I have to like, interesting. Record. I have some issues playing stuff from my browser on the focus right as well. So yeah, I had to, maybe that <laughs> some reason, like, uh, for people who are not aware of this type of thing, you know, there's a certain like frequency or like, um, just for for when you when you're listening to music it's usually uh, 44.1 uh kilohertz or 48 kilohertz meaning and, and it's in the thousands like 48,000 kilohertz that's yeah. typically where most things lie uh and we're normally where most people record things but i have to keep my settings at 96,000 kilohertz <laughs> otherwise nothing it, nothing's nothing works well with it with the, with each other which is fine Weird. it's not a huge hassle to deal with or yeah. whatever you know but it's just like such a weird little quirk that it took me forever to figure out because I was uninstalling and installing my Focusrite software to to fully control my interface whenever I had to record because I couldn't get it to not, you know, crackle whenever I was playing YouTube videos and listening back. Weird. So, but now that I figured that out, it's it, it's fine. But it's super geeky, nerdy stuff. But this <laughs> is one of those. This is one of those things like never expected that to be an issue. So that's very weird. But for the most part, focus, right. Uh, I really like yeah. their stuff. Um, I record in logic. I am a, uh, I'm, I'm a logic diehard. I think it was just when I was in like college and stuff and learning this stuff. Um, it was way more affordable than pro tools. Um, and I found yeah. it way more, way more intuitive. And then once I started actually working for Apple, like, you know, I got it for free first of all, but like, yeah. I also, you know, just, had to know it you know mm-hmm. um so i've always worked in logic uh i i really love logic um i use a lot of sampled instruments um i am a native instruments person when it comes okay. to uh sample libraries so i have their complete ultimate uh bundle um that i try to update every couple of years um because like on the ep for example you're going to hear string quartets and horns and marimba and it's not because i play all those instruments uh although i do play alto saxophone um but uh it's because i'm sampling them with i mean the native instrument stuff is incredible i it's it, it once you know how to play it 
once yeah. the the their sample libraries they are they they sound like the real thing like yeah, it's, it's amazing how sample it's incredible are just sounding these days like even guitar's the hardest one to crack i know for sure but like, yes like, which is why i'm glad i play guitar <laughs> but yeah. bass like mm-hmm. there are some where it's like you, you know you're not you you're, your bass player is going to be like he better be on his game otherwise the producer is just going to dump that on there i'm there's uh quite a few bass ones where especially for metal where it's like okay mm-hmm. well i can tell like you're playing you're soloing the track i could tell it's a, a midi track you know sure. sampled bass or whatever but when you put it in the mix like you can't once it. it's mixed in you can't tell yeah and it's just like well there you go and it's just like um you know and you get this sampled you know five thousand dollar dingwall bass you know tone <laughs> yeah you know for for a 200 hundred dollar plug-in or whatever i mean um, i'll fess up like the drums on the traveling show album demons of dogmen are real that was our drummer phil harris but for my solo EP, those are all sampled drums. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could probably tell if you're listening for it because drums, you know, you can usually tell like, oh, that hi-hat's a little too steady, you know. But yeah, um, I think that they sound really good. Like it doesn't sound, I, I think, it, you know, unless you're a drummer listening for it, I think you're going to listen to it and just be like, oh, yeah, that's a drum kit, you know. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. The, the sampled drum debate is pretty big in metal. And I think there's quite a few people who are anti-sampled drums in metal these days. But that's mostly, I think, because everyone uses the same ones. So mm, all the yeah. drums sound the same album to album to album to album. Um, you know, I use sample drums and whatever I have or whatever I do. I try to, like, play with the, you know, make sure not everything's, like, super, you know, uh, you know, super tight time-wise. You know, have it be mm-hmm. a little more humanized, you know. Yeah. Uh, change some of the the hits so the hi-hat's not always you know the consistent you know it's it's mm-hmm. more you know yeah you gotta humanize you gotta you know, put they, some they, they kind of you know it. it wavers a little bit but it also depends on the sensitivity level of the sample player you have and things like that and how yeah. well that would respond but you know there there comes to a point where it's just like well does it matter at some point like with that so i just try to like at the very least you know blend different samples together so at least i'm not, I'm not it doesn't sound like the same drum kit everyone else is using exactly um, and then but, like you, know, you said like oh go ahead no yeah it, it's just it's just you know it's it i i don't think it's the uh the demon <laughs> that a lot of people make it to be it's just you no. gotta you gotta work with you gotta be gotta be a little more creative with it you can't just like for demo purposes um, yeah of course you of know, course just use whatever uh and, and it's amazing you get these great mixed sounds you know right out the box and it 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 I think it aids a lot with songwriting because it sounds more professional. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you get a little bit more of that jazz and your, and that mojo going with it. But yeah. Um, when you're committing something to, to being the final, like, yeah, go in, dig in a little bit deeper, mess with it a little bit, make it more, more human, more real as, as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, you know, like when I did the album, I wanted to have a real drummer, but like, something like the solo EP, I needed that to be a lighter lift. I needed it to not be as expensive. Um, and, but I still wanted it to sound professional. And so it, it was the kind of situation where it just made sense to do sample drums. Cause yeah. it keeps the cost down. It lets me get the project out faster and sooner. And you know, the, these are not songs where like the drums are the star of the show, you know? So no. it, it just, it just makes no, sense to kind yeah, of, no, you know, it, you know so, yeah. So that's, that's a, an excellent point. It's like, what's, what's going to be the main focus here is in for mm-hmm. you, it's going to be the song, the structure of the song, the writing, yeah, 
you know, and obviously, you know, most people gravitate towards, you know, whatever the main instrument is for the song. And usually that's a guitar or uh, yeah. some type of, uh, you know, piano or, or the vocals or whatever. So that's what's going to be the main focus for most people. They're not going to, you know, 99% of people are not going to be like, oh, wait, that sounds like sample of drums. Oh, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to notice. Know, the 1% of people who do that are insufferable anyway. So they're not going <laughs> to find something else to complain about uh, when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, do you, do you, uh, do you have like any MIDI keyboards to like play the drums or you just kind of like draw them out on the, I, I, I really draw them in note by note. I go in and I just plug in every single note. I do have a keyboard that I plug in for playing like more melodic lines, but Mm -hmm. for drums, I just, I, I draw everything. And then like you said, like the one thing that doesn't sound good sample, I think are guitars. And so that's why I'm very lucky. I play guitar because like I never have to sample that. And I try not to use amp simulators. I haven't found one I really like. Um, I will use, uh, some of the native instruments ones, um, really to double my guitar lines usually so that I'm not like, for example, if I, if I want a guitar line to sound, uh, really big, so I'll record a take on my amp, which I use a Hughes and Kettner, uh, tube which I love the tone of beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful tone. D- 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 okay. I, I see why you're like, I can't find an amp sim. I really like Yeah. Cause you got a fucking killer amp. Already, yeah. So. I got, I, they, I love the Hughes and Kettner. Uh, and so I record on that, but then I want to double the track and I don't want to have the exact same sound. And yeah. so I will put that one through an amp simulator because it's just doubling the, the real guitar anyway. So, um, yeah, but I love my little Hughes and Kettner. It's a great amp. I just got the little one, the little like, you know, mm-hmm. club version, but it's great. Yeah. The, the, they're very underrated. Uh, Hughes and Kettner, uh, you know, yeah, came very as, highly as, recommended as a mostly metal guy, you know, obviously we have our mainstays and it's easier to sure. find a good amp simulator for metal type stuff than it is for mm, yeah. something that's probably like a little cleaner and a little more broken up, you know, more of a crunchy yeah. type of tone to make it really where you want to really have that kind of analog warmth to the distortion. Yeah. yeah. You there, know? There's a few that I think can do it really well, but if you have the real thing for that type of tone, I'd say use the real thing. Um, well, it's even like I actually switched over on my pedal board. I use a digital multi effects pedal because, mm-hmm. uh, and I know this is also sometimes a, a heretic kind of thing, but I found with my songs, I need to be able to switch between complex chains of effects very rapidly mm-hmm. like because my songs are very storytelling based like i will have like i need to be able to on a dime from a verse to a bridge flip like eight different effects at once like that just need to completely change and so a multi-effects pedal was the only way to do it but i still on the multi-effects pedal do a analog loop out to an analog distortion pedal because i don't like how the digital distortion on the multi effects pedals sound so like i think that they do they do a great job with reverb and chorus and delay and you know compression and eq and all those other things i need but when Mm -hmm. i want to distort i'm running to either out to the amp or to a distortion pedal for that yeah yeah especially live like that that's the type of thing where it's like totally you know the the digital effects like, like for stuff like that for modulation things and and all that it's like no one's going to be like, oh, that reverb could be a bit, you know, more warm or whatever. It's like, no, it's 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 fine. <laughs> it yeah. works just fine. I mean, honestly, even when I when I'm recording, a lot of that stuff's happening in the box. Like I'm going to be adding reverb on yeah. the effects chain in Logic. You know, I'm not yeah. going to be running that through the guitar when I record anyway. 
Yeah. Um, so that's going to come down later in the chain. So and, I'm yeah, really and, just using it live where that's, that's going to be fine. And even then, like the advancement in how digital things sound, how good digital things sound, like every, it feels like, sorry. <coughs> um, it feels like, you know, it, the progress has slowed, I think, but there's been such huge yeah. leaps with everything. Big leaps. Yeah. Um, when I first started using this kind of stuff, everything sounded pretty trash when it especially when it came to like distortion and stuff now the distortion is really good i just don't quite like it enough yeah you know where it's like i i know the pedal i already own sounds better so i might as well use it you know oh yeah yeah until like and and like i said you got the thing you enjoy and you have access to it then yeah that's that's what you should be doing so yeah you know again everything i do is is digital but if i had the means to i would definitely have several of those like lunchbox size tube amps and like oh, a two yeah. by twelve to record stuff with and all that. The um the angle one I'm really interested in. There's mm-hmm. a was it the fifty one fifties, uh all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that, that's my type of guitar tone. So that's that's things I'm yeah. looking for. But but yeah. And uh to t- real quick, uh for everyone who's who's not a musical recording person who's kind of hung in so far, there was something <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to mention. Uh when I talked to Dalton about drawing in the drums. Um, there's a thing called MIDI. It's essentially basically like if you if you're you can load up a drum program and it, you can load up a grid and you mm-hmm. know and you can literally like say okay here's the bass drums and you kind of like draw in those little blocks of like how long yep. kick drum here snare here within a pattern and mm-hmm. and things like that. So you're literally like pointing and clicking and drawing it in. So I just wanted to kind of yeah. clarify that a little bit because we got it is pretty nerdy if you're not aware of it. So. I basically write the drum part hit by hit and then it plays it back for me and it sounds just like a drum kit. And that's the wonders of technology. See, technology isn't evil. I'm using technology for good. Uh, yeah, it's the companies that are evil, but yeah, I appreciate these companies for making the software for me to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now I'm in the middle of, or in the beginning of you know, another Riftober, where I try to like write Ooh, and post yeah. a riff every day for the month of October. Hell yeah. And, you know, I use a program called Easy Drummer 2, which sounds okay. great, but it's also and it's also very easy <laughs> to kind of put things. And I have all these. I would hope so. Uh, packs of grooves, all these different mm-hmm. types of metal grooves and rock grooves or whatever. Just a uh, just ton of them. I mean, I've, they're, they're really, yeah. you know, they're really easy to find and buy and stuff like that. So more often than not, I can just find something to, to start off from there and play it. More often than not, I have my little. Uh, midi keyboard here that what i can do is and then that program is really cool you know i can have it so where you know i can play the keyboard and it'll correspond to parts of the drum set and yeah. i could play an idea i have and it'll search my library <laughs> of grooves oh nice and find something that's kind of similar to it that's really helpful i can take that put it into my recording program and then tweak it you know, move the little blocks around and right, right. Have it be more exact. More often than not, I keep things simple anyway, so I usually just kind of like let it be. And if it's not hundred yeah. percent right, because the focus yeah. is the riff. It's riff yeah, tober. It, it's not you know, drum tober. Yeah, <laughs> riff tober is more of like a digital sketchbook for myself, a riff sketchbook yeah. for myself to go back and 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 listen to and and try to write songs with. And you know, uh, I've had a, a good handful of songs come from stuff from there. So. This is more like, yeah, it's just a very basic stuff, but yeah, you know, it's the digital tools have been very, very helpful 
with that and I wouldn't be able to do that with without yeah. them, you know. The you know, when I got back into playing guitar six years ago, um I had no idea <laughs> that that was a thing I could do. You know, the last yeah. experience I had working with a recording program was in like 2003, I think. Very different. Very and different it was landscape. A, um, not entirely legal version of, I think, Cubase. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was mixing our band's like demo and it was, just, it was hot trash. Um, <laughs> I wish, I really wish I still had the, 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 the tracks from that, from that band. And I could. Like, I wish that again. about my high school ska band. I was like, "What if I could go back and like remix?" Yeah, I just the, the tracks I had because you know, but, for the most part, I think everything was recorded okay. But I would definitely like redo all my bass parts, and then I would like program the drums so the drums would sound actually mm-hmm. good. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I thought we had some decent songs, but anyway, I'm getting away away from myself. Um, <laughs> yes. So you know. It's been it's past midnight where you are now, and now your EP is officially out in the world. Um, so I think we should wrap this up. You can let everybody know where they can find it, and you should get some rest, sir, because you've had a very long day. I appreciate <laughs> you for hanging day. in. Uh, you're an hour ahead of me, so you know I I am especially appreciative of my East Coast guests hanging in there uh, <laughs> and and, and uh, with me on these uh, recording nights. So yeah, don't let everybody know where they can find. Your music and all that. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes and all that. So Amazing. Just click on it and get right to it. But yeah, let them know now. All right. There's there's a there's a lot of projects. There's a lot to share. First of all, you can find me on social media everywhere at, at Dalton Deshane. I'm sure you can see how to spell it in the show notes. Uh, I'm the only Dalton Deshane out there. So follow me on all the things. Um, Monocle, the comic, if you want to read it. First of all, you can subscribe to my, my Patreon at patreon.com slash Dalton Deshane. Uh, I release Monocle there mostly every month. Uh, But if I'm not posting Monocle, I'm posting uh, short stories or music snippets or uh, early access to songs or uh, analysis of horror films or all kinds of stuff. I'm always putting stuff on Patreon. So patreon.com slash Dalton Deshane. If you want to purchase the back issues, you can do that on my Bandcamp, daltondeshane.bandcamp.com. And under the merch thing, you can buy all of the previous print volumes, including the ones that Don is in. Uh, which should be volume five and seven, I believe. Yes. Um, and uh, if you want to stream my music, any streaming service, Dalton DeShane uh, and The Traveling Show, we are on there. You can also buy our stuff on Bandcamp, like I said. Um, the last thing I should promote is I have a new podcast that has just started um, with my friend Dylan Roth, who is a film critic. Uh, it's called Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe? And the premise is that we are picking up the pieces of Universal Studios' failed Dark (laughs) Universe project, which, if you don't remember, back in 2017, they were going to make their own Marvel Cinematic Universe, except using all the classic Universal horror monsters, so like Dracula and the Mummy and the Wolfman and stuff. And they released that awful Tom Cruise Mummy movie in 2017, (laughs) and it was so bad that they scrapped the entire project. So on this podcast, we imagine, well, what if it had continued? Uh, and every uh, episode, we pitch the next movie in the series. So I will pitch one to Dylan, and then the next episode, Dylan will pitch one to me. And we are going to continue building the Dark Universe until it is as big as the MCU and beyond. Uh, so if you like horror or you just like creative ideas, uh, 
we were talking, I have so many projects on my plate already, and I have somehow given myself one where now I have to write a movie every month. Uh, so listen to us write movies every month. Uh, it's called Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe? The first two episodes are out now. In the first one, we recap 2017's The Mummy. And then in episode two, I pitch my take on Frankenstein, which I'm very proud of. Oh, nice. And then I think there's going to be a new episode coming out this Sunday, based on when you're hearing this, where Dylan pitches our Wolfman. Uh, oh. we've got the invisible man coming. We've got Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. And then of course we have to do our Avengers where they all cross over. <laughs> so that's all in the pipeline to come. Nice. Um, so yeah. And the new EP is out, uh, as we're recording this, it just came out 10 minutes ago, but for the listener, it's probably been about a week. Um, but add it to your Halloween playlist. It's called I cemetery it. sunset. There it is on Apple, Apple music, music right now. Focus, focus add camera. It to your library. It's, it's in my library. I'm getting it. Uh, yes. I'll jam it out. Uh, I'm going to jam it out tomorrow uh, for the for the spooky vibes. You know? Um, and also, I'm sure you have uh, comic artists that listen to this. If anybody uh, is interested in working on Monocle, I try to get different artists for every story, and I'm always looking for more people to work with. So go ahead and hit me up. I I wish I, you know, I don't have big two publisher money. It comes out of pocket and what I can get from Patreon. But, uh, you know, I always pay what I can and, uh, you know, uh, try to make it fun. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, 100%. You know, artist friends, hit up Dalton. Uh, working with him is awesome. Uh, you know, it's, Dalton is also very, uh, I'll say, cool with like giving you some leeway in terms of time and getting things done <laughs> yes i i try to give people a lot of i mean if, if they're eight or nine page black and white horror stories uh and because i know you know people have a lot going on i give like i try to give people at least three months the artist at least three months to uh to turn in the art but um and that can be you know i'm i'm i give leeway but i'm yeah, i'm always but- looking for new people to work with yeah, Dalton's awesome to work with. Uh, you know, as long as I have, you know, seconds in my day to try to do something, <laughs> I will try to work with him at any time he wants. That is very um, kind. But yeah, definitely hit him up. He's got, you're guaranteed to get a really cool story to draw. It'll be, you know, out for people to see. And, you know, you, you'll uh, definitely uh, not regret crossing paths with this gentleman right here. So thank you. Dalton, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is great. I've been wanting to do this forever. I, I love the podcast and I'm so happy to be here. I've been wanting to have you on. It's, it's, it's one of those things where the, the list of people I want to have on is ever growing. And then you try to factor in like, oh, who's got what coming out when and things like that. Yeah. And it's just like trying to figure all that out. And then it, people, it just gets lost in the shuffle and just becomes a giant mess. And you're like, all right, <laughs> can, can you come on? I think we had to reschedule this one twice just because things just got shifted around because mm-hmm. some people want to do one thing and then it changed and it's it but is here what we it are is, but it's been it's been a long time coming and it's not going to be the last time for sure so yes you know, this was a blast um, so i'm i'm so grateful you had me on thank you so much i i am i'm super glad we got the chance to chat and all that and get super fucking nerdy about guitars and recording <laughs> and absolutely it's, it's a nice itch i get to scratch sometimes <laughs> people love it so uh Thank you for hanging in there, uh, and uh, have a good night, sir. You too. Thank you for listening to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast. Please be sure to return next episode with my guest, writer, Aubrey Citizen. See you then. <laughs>